welcome to Here If You Need. I'm Jennifer and I'll be joined by my BFF, Amy. And we're here if you need to talk through the stuff that as women, we're told not to talk about. Hello and welcome to Here If You Need. I'm Jennifer and this week I'm not joined by Amy again, but I am joined by another very special guest to continue my body confidence and self-love discussion. This week I have on Kendra Austin, a beautiful, beautiful model um, who I'm just so inspired by. I actually wanted to talk to Kendra just about life, modeling and, and what it's actually like to exist as a fat black woman in America, especially now. I've followed her for a while now and I just love how open and vulnerable she's been with her followers about her journey from her early childhood weight loss surgery to her evolution into the beautiful confident woman you're about to hear today. I'm so grateful that she's joining me on the podcast. So Kendra, hello and welcome to Here If You Need. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so grateful that you've you've taken the time out of your, your schedule to talk to me. Um, with everything that's going on in the world. It's a very busy time. It's a lot of emotional energy and I really do appreciate it. And I just wanted to, I guess, ask, how are you doing right now? Um, It is absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. As I mentioned, I've been super excited just to meet with you and chat with you on a personal level, Um, especially right now. So many relationships are kind of being built via extension of social media and whatnot. So it's nice to connect. Um, How am I? That's a great question. And I love to answer that question and also ask it honestly. So uh, I'm going to give you an honest answer. I am purely overwhelmed. <laughs> that's really, that's really the only <laughs> way to really state uh, who, who and what I am right now. I am like overjoyed in so many ways for the cultural, societal, and even like on, you know, on the basis of how we know each other within the industry, um, like the industry shifts that are going on, like this huge collective conscious shift towards valuing each other and showing up for those whose voices have been kind of lost in the shuffle for like a millennia um, is so relieving. You know, like I feel like I've lived my entire life being um, silenced and now people are kind of listening. So as, you know, a, a woman of all of my identities, being black, being a woman, being visibly plus size, like I'm super excited to have um, to have lived in a time where people care a little bit more and people are engaged um, and to see the community that's kind of rallied around intersectionality and the Black Lives Matter movement. And again, within our industry, just shifts towards actual inclusion and diversity is like the greatest joy, honestly, one of the greatest joys of my life. My little humanitarian heart is singing. Um, But obviously, that comes with great grief and mourning. And I am a firm believer in like, so within as without. And I think that so many of us, and I'm sure that you can relate to this, can't speak for you, but like, it's very, very hard to see these huge world changes and not have a shift internally. And that comes with leaving a lot of who we think we are and who I think I needed to, like these traits I felt like I needed to attach myself to in order to be who I am requires like kind of letting that go and realizing a lot of that was like dead weight and things that were holding me back from being my best self. So, you know, it's like, there's so much joy and so much vindication, but also a lot of sadness. And of course, there's so many people being so horribly impacted by a global pandemic. So that of course has to be acknowledged, um, both inter inter and intrapersonally. Um, but all in all, I think that you know, some a little solitude is exactly what I needed. So coming out of the last few months, like I'm doing okay. We're doing the best we can. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was such an honest answer, but like 
I completely agree. Um, I think especially like, obviously I don't agree with like how you're feeling, but like, I agree. And I feel like mm-hmm. how you're feeling is, is very similar to like how I'm feeling in the mm-hmm. sense that there were so many parts of me that I was attaching myself to that I thought I needed in order to like be this person, but I don't actually need that. And by shedding that in almost like, I feel like, you know, quarantine was like my, my period of transformation. If you want to like even talk about it from like as a butterfly, like I went into this cocoon and I, I really kind of like mulled with myself and I really just assessed what was important in my life and what wasn't. And I feel like I, I'm still not quite out of the the little cocoon, yeah. but I'm emerging like this, you know, really multifaceted woman that right. has really left a lot behind, but also gained so much. Mm-hmm. And it, it does suck because there's like, obviously so much happening in the world that is really sad, but then right. there's also so much good happening as well. I think, you know, especially in our industry with diversity right. and with people finally, finally kind of coming on board, I guess, with what Mm-hmm. black people have been yelling <laughs> from the mm-hmm. rooftops for for like centuries so you know there is that that overwhelming sense of joy but also like an overwhelming sense of of sadness and grief too so right, right. yeah that, that metaphor of like having gone into the co- cocoon and having kind of like come out is it, it sounds really mundane but I do think that's really the only way I feel like the universe was like go to your rooms like you guys have done bad, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it was like, go, back, go into your room and think about what you've done to us. And I feel like the people who I really connect with now in my life, the messages, the brands, the like from business to personal relationships, to romantic, to friendships, it's like, I only seek alignment. And to your point, I feel, you know, kind of coming out of that cocoon and having grown these new wings and still working on that. Um, like, it feels like I'm only really flying at the altitude where I should be and with other butterflies who are there. And that is such a blessing because I am for sure one to carry a lot of responsibility and weight of emotional, spiritual, physical work of all kinds um, for, for people who really shouldn't be there or spaces and things that really shouldn't be there. And I feel like the universe is right and sending my ass straight back to my room to think about it. (laughs) And um, you know, like the fat kind of cuts itself. I did have a question though about that because you were saying like, you know, you're still kind of in that cocoon state. And I so feel Mm. that like, even to what we were talking about before we hopped on, just how being around, being in social spaces, well, previously, I I am for sure an extrovert, but I find myself being less social, but it's kind of because I'm listening to myself more. And yeah, now like kind of still being in this growing stage and, and really still sitting with, sitting with those demons and sitting with, a lot of the change that I, I'm now aware of is totally required for me. Um, and kind of being like pulled back, like kind of forced back into life. It's been kind of a jolt. Like, how has that experience been for you? Just like, I feel like right now I do feel a little bit jolted back into quote unquote, the real world when I'm not so ready. And even that's kind of scary because I'm like, wait, but like, I just came to these realizations and I still have other things like a little ducks to get in order. It's, it's very strange. Oh my God. Absolutely. Like I have had probably, I don't even know if I've had a, like a busy work week or, or just like I have somehow managed to be so flat out that I'm experiencing stress levels that I haven't felt since before 
quarantine. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, hang on, wait, like how, how did I allow myself to get back there? I, I literally vowed to never <laughs> put myself in that much kind of stress again, but somehow, and, and, and that's like one of the things that I'm trying to work on is like finding that happy balance of still working, still socializing, still finding time for myself to rest, rejuvenate, to, to find mm-hmm. joy, but like also be the person that I'm supposed to be like to, to be the activist, to be the model, to, you know, and it's just, it's hard. It is. Yeah. It's it's hard. hard. And I, I feel like that's all I can say. (laughs) No, it's hard period. I, you know, I'm, I'm witnessing you obviously from afar being so multifaceted and really taking on as much as, and I'm sure possibly even far more than you can handle. But I do think that that is like a great balance and great learning experience of being somebody with so many beautiful gifts and um, in callings is you really do have to learn what it means to recharge and regenerate and grant yourself enough space that whatever you're giving the world is merely overflow. And that has been, I think my greatest lesson. I've always told myself that, but I was lying. (laughs) Like it was like I was preaching yeah. to myself and like trying to make it a mantra and telling it to anybody and everybody that could listen, like only do what's what's good enough for you and don't give anything more that you don't have. That way you can be truly generous. But I feel like I did not understand yeah. that until months of really only focusing on me and my solitude where I'm realizing now, like I was extending myself so much and actually what I was giving was not generous at all because it was more than what I had. And I think now it's like that restructure of if you want to wear this many hats, if you want to show up and be an incredible writer and you want to be a model and you want to get into acting and you want to be a great friend and a great partner and a great daughter and sister and like all of these things, you have to give enough to you and be listening to your needs enough. That way, what you're giving is overflow and not part of what you need to sustain this life source, you know? And like, I want to yeah. be granting everybody all of these spaces and all of these people in all of my jobs, as big of Kendra as I possibly can. And that's impossible if I'm not granting myself that thing in return, you know? Yeah. And I think that that is self-love, like realizing that for yourself is self-love. But I feel like almost that self-love message has kind of been lost with like everything and has been marketed in a little capitalist box as something that it is not. And we've kind of really veered away from what it really is to fully love yourself. And I feel like loving yourself is giving yourself and allowing yourself to to have that space to grow and to to listen to yourself and to to set those boundaries. I think like it is so important. Um that's a really, really great point. I think that there is like you hit the absolute nail on the head about self-love having turned into a marketing theme. That's, that's exactly what it looks like now. Yeah. Like it's do a bath bomb, do a face mask and don't get me wrong. Sometimes that's absolutely what that, but I love to say like self-love is actually ugly. Self-love is very ugly. Like it can look, it can look like time out the park with your friends or it can look like a massage and it can look like those things. But I find that more often than not, self-love is like a lot of shadow work and a lot about thinking thinking about what's keeping you in loops that make you feel unhappy, what's keeping you in a space um, that makes you feel like you can't be your biggest and brightest. It sometimes looks like just vegging out on your couch and having your underwear, just literally being in your underwear, tits out by yourself 
Sometimes it means watching Bad Girls Club. Sometimes it means, you know what I mean? Like it can look a lot, a lot of ways that I feel like people are experiencing themselves like in first person experience as doing, but they don't realize that it's self-love. And to me, those things are equally as important. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's, first of all, self-love can be a lot of work. It's a lot of internalized work, but also sometimes it can be like truly your absolute ugliest state and something that you would never want to post online and never would want to say like, "Mm, this is me with my mask on or this is me in the bowl bath. Like those things don't always look so pretty. And um, I think like the recognition of that and it is really relieving to people because it is almost even stressful to think about what self-love looks like now that it's been marketed because if it's not cutesy, it just doesn't feel like it's, yeah. And that's not how, that's not how life works. I wanted to talk about like body positivity, self-love and all of that sort of thing. And, and kind of going on from the whole marketing of self-love as, as all of these kind of pretty things and, like aesthetically pleasing things. Um, in terms of like our industry, we, I guess we were able to, um, I don't, I wouldn't say like we, we capitalize off this movement, mm-hmm. but we, I would trying to figure out what I wanted to say. Yeah, I guess we have, but like the, I feel like the original messaging has got lost and, and I love reading all of the captions on your Instagram posts. I have seen like your informational TikToks and I think, like kind of veering away from self-love and talking more about body positivity. And um, I, I really want to start talking about fat phobia mm-hmm. and how in this whole like body positive self-love wave mm-hmm. that we're experiencing like through our, like in our industry, I know, especially in Australia, we don't have like, we don't have plus size models above a size US 12 to 14. Like any bigger than that, doesn't um mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. any bigger than that doesn't kind of get seen so I think in in America it's just it's amazing to see so many different body shapes being celebrated but it also comes with this I guess backlash from people that are clearly mm-hmm. like have their own issues but I I just I really love how I guess you you articulate it in a way that I just can't. And that's why I'm like stumbling over these words because I, I actually don't know how to, how to put it because I, f- I just feel like you're, you're so like well-versed in, in like almost having to explain yourself, which like sucks that you always are having to like explain to people why like they are, why, like why they have certain views. Right. Like, of course, why I just really, I really appreciate that, that reverence and, and respect to that, to my work. That means a lot to me. Obviously it's, I mean, you do the same thing. It's very, it is taxing and laborious to share so much of, I feel like the intimate like details and inner workings of actually who you are on a regular basis, because then you're opening literal, like you're like kind of splitting yourself down the middle and saying here, have, have a go. Um, and that can be really scary. Um, but I also recognize that so much of, I hopped onto Instagram I had an Instagram prior, but I, I became a public page and really started to kind of like quote unquote blog or document my experience with self image and with my body image and just with identity in general, because I, I'm really just like, I always say like, I'm just a loud mouth bitch healing publicly online. And I hope that somebody can heal in solidarity, you know, like that's really all I'm doing. But um, the reason why I got on and stayed on was because I found fat women online loving themselves. 
in calling themselves fat, which to me was absolute sacrilege because, because at that point it had only ever been used against me, right? And showing themselves in bikinis and crop tops and short shorts and all these things that quite frankly, I actually had always done, but I felt such shame for and I felt so isolated for. So it was really nice to kind of see a mirror of myself and realize that like I was in where I was was small and wasn't big enough for me. I was not too big for it. And, um, and I really just kind of needed to find my space. And so I use the internet as a means to do that. Now I feel like as a way to kind of give back to the same community that gave to me and that provided me space to grow and, uh, and learn about who I am and embrace those things and realize like, I'm not going to diet skinny or skinny my way into the life of my dreams. Like I need to claim it now or get gone. Like those are my choices. Um, so I feel like my service kind of back to that community is also sharing so much and telling these people to go F themselves. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is like, I, I love to provide a mirror. So a lot of my, like now I got, I got on TikTok, even though I'm a boomer in comparison to those kids, but um, I, I got on TikTok recently because I do, I do think that I have a, a pretty fine gift in recognizing like similarities between what people choose to nitpick in other people and what they see in themselves. And even just like the experience of, I'm not sure if if you've had this before, but like I have always grown up in a thin family and I have have a single parent who's very thin and she's a woman and she has so many identities that aren't like mine and she's really benefited from thin privilege. And I think that in that and kind of breaking from that mold of like, you have to be thin to have something, I've realized why people are holding on to thinness so greatly. And that is why I like feel it's so important to like scream at these people and be like, what do you think you're getting out of that experience? Like, why do you think that you have to hold on to thinness so greatly? And why do you not realize that that's actually holding you back? Like your body, your vessel is like one very small facet and it must be honored, but you're so much greater than that. Why are you connecting to it? And then why are you projecting that onto people who do not know you and have never met you before? Um, And like, I always feel like, I, I think fat phobia is fat phobia is structural, right? It is based in classism. It is based in white supremacy. Um, it has been used to subjugate bodies where fatness has is most greatly linked to for centuries and dates back very specifically in America to slavery as a way to say like we see fatness in black women and that feels grotesque. And now we get to subjugate these people and white women, you should be fearful of those women. And those women are deserving of, of rape and of torture and of all these things that just should have never been, obviously. Um, and since that time, it's kind of become a way to subjugate both the poor and the black and brown as a means to kind of scapegoat our overwhelmed healthcare system. So like, yeah. if we look at the grand scheme of what America's built on, everything is a business um, because we live in a capitalist society and our healthcare system is a business. And because, because we as Americans actually pay for it, it's really, really easy to kind of pin these issues with the healthcare system on people who we think or we can demonize as being the cause of it. And we can say, well, poor people don't eat well, even though they're not provided food to eat well. The food deserts exist. There is yeah. no fresh produce in most low-income neighborhoods. There's only fast food. That's what's affordable. And so poor people eat available and affordable to them. And they also sleep horrible hours because those are people working night shifts. And those things increase levels of obesity, which is intergenerational trauma. 
And so now we've seen by way of intergenerational trauma, we have a generation and a population of people in America in specific who are fat. And we've connected that to brown, poor, and black people. And we've said, you guys are the reason why we have this overwhelmed healthcare system and why we have all of these problems. And now we get to bully you for forever. And that those are the systemic roots of fat phobia. Yeah. Well, even, um, sorry to interrupt just quickly, but even that whole putting the blame on, you know, the, the black and brown communities as like the, the root of the, the overextended healthcare system, you know, that is a result of the oppression, the, the years and years and years and years and years and years of oppression. Mm-hmm. And it's the system that made it like that. And that's, I'm trying to like help explain, especially for like the Australian listeners, because we also have systemic racism in our country and we have like medical racism and all of that sort of thing with our Indigenous Australians mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I feel like a lot of Australians don't think that it happens in Australia. So I feel like hearing it happen in America and just hearing like how bad it is, like it is so bad, um, kind of helps maybe I'm hoping to help people kind of do their own critical thinking and apply that same mechanism because like Australia is literally America like 20 years behind. Like we're, right. we're, we're heading mm. that way. We're, we've privatized our healthcare. We still do have universal healthcare, but it's beginning to be privatized. There are so many similarities that we can draw mm-hmm. um, between Australia and, and the US. We have, you know, in the, the outer suburbs, there's like an influx of fast food, you know, same sorts of things like further drives to supermarkets. Uh, fresh, pr- fresh produce isn't as easily available. Like all the organic stuff is, is really mm-hmm. overpriced because it's seen as like a, a rich people food. Like, it's just like the the levels of classism mm-hmm. are, are so present in Australia, and I think people. I guess if it, if it doesn't happen to you, like you never think it, it exists. But yeah, I just wanted to draw right. that parallel. But it sounds like it is. That's, yeah, no, all of those parallels make a lot of sense. Pardon my ignorance, but I'm gonna pick your brain a little bit um, because I I know a little, but very little. Yeah. So like when you reference like the indigenous population, I do know a little bit of the history and who those indigenous people are. Do you think that so much of like, I've even noticed this kind of drawing comparisons between like rural and urban life in America, where like rural life is predominantly white Mm -hmm. and very, very far out of where industry is, where a lot of these systemic issues can be witnessed. Like I know now you live in New York. So you can literally walk in a 30 minute walk. You can see like 15 different lifestyle changes, mm-hmm. right? And you can see like at least a thousand different people, truly. Yeah. Um, kinds of people from, from different backgrounds and employment and all these things. But I feel like there is like a pretty decent parallel maybe to be drawn between like, this huge like cultural like dissonance between what people out in rural America, like let's say like the middle of Nebraska, right? Like it's a lot of white people who have picked quote unquote, picked themselves up by their bootstraps Mm -hmm. and have never really encountered subjugated Brown or black people before. And when they hear in like, think of like the riots going on, for example, or like all of these um, protests going on for since George Floyd's death, they're thinking like, well, what do you mean? Like, I've never seen this before. That doesn't exist. They just don't want to work hard. And I think that like, 
there there may be a, and again please like explain and or excuse my ignorance on this i do feel like just geographically because australia is so huge and there are so many um like cultural dissonance instances between like aboriginal experience cultural experience even geographically and a lot of those other rural or suburban areas like it, it just like there's two australias or, like two americas so to speak and so it, it's really hard for people to like not walk in those shoes or in those lifestyles and still believe that they exist because their world is literally so different. Like, would you say that that is a similar dynamic? Yeah, I, I guess so. But I think in terms of like the difference between, well, not even the difference, but but with Indigenous Australia and the way that it's perceived, I guess, within Australia is maybe even different to America. And mm-hmm. I also, I, I, I don't know enough. Like I'm, I'm not Indigenous, so I guess I'm, I'm only commenting on, on my understanding and, and my research and, and experience kind of with Indigenous issues like in Australia that I've kind of witnessed and then kind of been doing my own research about. But a lot of people, because of the stereotype that has been painted of Indigenous Australians, which is very similar to the stereotype that has been painted of Black Americans, people just assume, mm-hmm. they assume the worst of that stereotype and they assume that stereotype of, like, there's there's so much and I, I, I don't really know if I'm, I'm equipped enough to, to answer, but that is. That's a great answer. Yeah, we also have like problems with colorism. So in Australia, we had um, the Stolen mm-hmm. Generation, uh, which was where like white Australia basically took um, Indigenous children from their families and placed them in foster care and basically tried to like breed the black out of them. So, you know, just like mm-hmm. in America, you've got, you know, light lighter skin black people and th- there's, there's that kind of... Yes difference in color but then unlike america where there's the one percent black rule there isn't really that in australia so people kind of and i say people i say white people almost try and like de Mm -hmm. i guess dehumanize is also the word but they kind of try and like say oh but you're not really that black or you're not really that indigenous and try and like take that identity away from them Mm -hmm. it's so Mm -hmm. yeah and then oh you're like you're so pretty to be indigenous or you're so pretty to be black or oh, I only thought Indigenous people were mm. like that stereotype, like X, Y, Z. And yeah. it's it's almost like people wow. are so ignorant to the fact that like Indigenous people, Black people just exist in society as, as regular humans just like them. Like it's just, I find it so, to be honest, I find it so backwards, like so backwards and that we're still there oh. and still here in 2020. Absolutely. Like that makes, that just, I, I appreciate you contextualizing that. And I also really love that you were like, I, I actually don't know enough about this because I wish that more people said that um so thank you i think that's always a great answer um but i i appreciate you contextualizing that because i do think that like we can see so many parallels in those experiences like i always say like like class and colorism exists absolutely yeah. everywhere like classism and colorism exist absolutely everywhere and i have noticed like one thing i really love about about gen z i'm gonna hype gen z for a second and i've again i've only encountered them via my boomer ass being on tiktok <laughs> recently is that i've gone a lot of my like in, kind of more informational TikTok, they'll ask, like, I'll often reference the, like, institutionalized root of fat phobia or of 
their like thin privilege or these things. I, I try to like address the root in some way. And a lot of these kids are really amazing in that they, they first of all, they ask questions. Like if I, I'm sure you've noticed this and have experienced it, but if a fat person posts something, literally anything on Instagram, it's like, you're a whale, you deserve to die. Mm-hmm. Like, horrible, horrible thing. And I find that there's like a generational gap kind of, whereas like I'm seeing even, even if it's slightly probing or laborious, a lot of these Gen Z love to ask a question. Like they'll be like, actually, can you explain this? Or what, what, like, what do you mean? And because TikTok is such an international platform, I have noticed a lot of people are like, well, in my country, like this is how we view this. Or in my country, we view class differently. Or my country, um, like fatness used to be seen as X, Y, and Z. And it's made me really contextualize and think about like on a global scale where we meet and not so much where the differences Mm. are. And like now I just kind of respond to people and I always say like any phobia that you can think of in general is intended to oppress the dark and the poor. And if you can, if you can imagine that that is a base truth for any phobia that exists, then you can probably draw the same conclusions yourself. You don't need me to tell you, you can Google it. And uh, because Google is free 99. Thank God for it. And (laughs) You can draw something critically, like you really, really can. And I think that like that is really what opened it up for me is like as I started to understand the ways in which institutionalized racism works in America and the fact that there is not a single space that you can enter that's not racialized. In America, there is not a single space that you can enter that's not racialized. It doesn't any room where you are breathing air with somebody else, it is a racialized space. And assuming that that's not true just because only white people are in it is racist. Mm-hmm. Right. So I try to like contextualize like that these are, these really are global issues. And I think that you discussing those parallels between how white, the, the great white Australians and the, the general like great and wide white Americans view um, other, other subjugated and, and minority class groups. It's, it's clear that that is a global thing and it is a global issue. Well, you look at, you look at how both countries were founded. They were both founded from colonization. They were both founded by by white people who thought that they were a superior race and tried to like re-educate the native population into like their ideals. So we're actually not that different. We're pretty, pretty the same. The only thing is I feel like Australia is just not at a level of capitalism (laughs) that America is yet. And I say yet because I feel it going that way. And I think as an Australian, you know, if you are white and have been presented all of this information and are not drawing the parallels or not, I think the the correct term is like choosing not to put two and two together. I think that is, you know, the ultimate privilege. Mm -hmm. And that is like, dude, like all the information is here. Like just connect the dots. It's it's really fucking obvious. Completely. To jump in the comment section of some of you not know and and demand that they educate you because you just simply don't want to believe that it exists or do the research yourself. Like, come on, get a grip. Yeah. It's, it's very, very hard to face on a regular basis. Yeah. And I I think also, like, as much as we we can recognize, we can recognize um, the the systemic root of of a lot of these issues of fat phobia in specific to kind of draw back, Mm -hmm. we ultimately cannot solve like we as just meaning individual individual experiences, you as Jen and me as Kendra, we cannot, we cannot shift those alone. But we can allow ourselves to feel so disempowered that we don't decide like to do something alone 
right? Like we still have to take action. We still have to find what's right for us and what's within our capacity. And a lot of that is also just recognizing what happens in, on a social scale um, in regards to fat phobia. Like obviously fat phobia affects the way that you date, the friendships that you make, the, um, for us, it's like, that's our work because, because what we look like is our work that's very attached um, that's actually true everywhere. Beauty politics is a huge part of beauty politics and fat phobia and thin privilege are a huge part of actually literally any um, application or interview process. Mm-hmm. And it's a place of conversation and thought when promotions come up and when raises come up. And I think that understanding how to navigate the phobia itself and not fatness is the most important thing. Like I always tell people like you have to name the problem. Being black is not my problem racism is my problem. Being fat is not my problem. Fat phobia is the problem. And I'm not going to combat these things by hating myself and by trying to become thin. I need to correct thin people when they think that they are inherently better than me because they're thin. And we need to, like, I need to start vocalizing and interrogating those things in real time. So like, I always say, like, I want to be, if if there is nobody else interpersonally in somebody's life who they can, who anybody can encounter where they don't have to talk about their weight, I want it to be me. Like, this is the one space maybe in that person's entire life where they don't have to think or talk about their weight. And I try to make that super clear. Like, I'm not going to engage in your most recent diet. I'm not going to do the whole comparative like, well, you look good because da da da, but I don't because I need to lose. Like, I don't want to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about, like, I'm not going to slander what you look like in any way. And I'm not going to let you do that in front of me. And I'm going to question you. Like, why are you holding on to this so badly? And I think a lot of hateful, thin people need that phobia to exist that they feel good about themselves and feel better than absolutely anybody. And it's really, really easy to pick on low hanging fruit. And they know that right now we're still at a place where people people still allow so much fat phobic language to exist and don't think that it's a problem. Oh, yeah. Whereas like you can, can't be like, you can't be racist and sexist out loud in a lot of spaces, especially in New York or like at work, but you can be blatantly fat phobic at work and nobody cares. Yeah. And that is just not okay with me to draw that line super clearly. Yeah. And I think there is such a, like, why is it such a crime to be fat? Like what, like who, who decided that being fat was bad? Like I, I just look, I look and what, kind of person has these internalized feelings that they're so outwardly projecting them onto someone else and making someone else feel so shit like it's just it's so horrible obviously like that anyone feels the need to outwardly project such like horrible things to someone but then you know like do you think that we can change like fat phobic attitudes through the work that we do or do you think it goes deeper than that mm, I think I mean I think that any global change starts at home and that is a true yeah. I I have said this about pretty much everything in my life. I don't intend to see the fruit or reward of my personal work in, in activism in this lifetime. Yeah. And, and that's not to be pessimistic by any means, but I think that just like generationally, like I am actually just trying to be the best mom. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I think of. I'm like, I, I'm thinking about the fact that I'm going to have children. I'm going to decide to have children. And when I do that, I'm going to build the next generation of people who are going to change. Yeah. And I need that change to look more like a world that 
is more conducive with that black joy. Yeah. That is my expectation. And um, I don't think that we can do that. I don't think that any single person can make that happen. I do think that like, and I know this and I'm, I know that you know this too, even the last like five, five to 10 years since body positivity or body neutrality or diversity and inclusion campaigns on the grand scale in like entertainment and media have been a thing. I have already seen such a huge shift in how people think of themselves. Like, I mean, I'm sure you can speak to this too. Like my DMs right now, I have 14, 15 year old girls. Like I saw you in this and I never thought that I was beautiful. And like, now I do, or like now I'm thinking about it and I don't let my parents talk to me this way anymore. And like, it is like, I literally, I've had so many moments where I've literally cried like talking to a 14 year old girl online because that is why I do what I do. Yeah. And ultimately I'm understanding now the impact of forcing your way into spaces where people tell you no. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like of truly us just being who we are and sharing our joy and sharing what it looks like to be in a black and brown body and of this size and being so beautiful and so joyful and so fucking amazing. Like that is that is the universe's work. Like that is God's work. Yeah. I truly believe it. Um, and like that is the best that you can do. I am sick of trauma porn. I'm sick of trauma stories. Like I'm not sure if you can relate to this, but I, I get really frustrated now because I do think within the body positive community, there's like a lot of exploitation of insecurity. Mm-hmm. And I want to see less of that. Let's nix that. I just want to see a really gorgeous woman doing gorgeous woman things. I don't want to see her being like, I have hip dits and I hate myself and I, I wish that you didn't. Like, I don't want to hear that anymore. I don't want women like slouching over to create fake roles to like exploit themselves for the public. Like that's trauma porn. I don't want that. I want you to be living freely with your roles on display. And if you can get a picture in, great. I would love to see it. (laughs) You know, like to me, that is like what people need to see is people live and in motion living their best in spite of all of these truths that we know to be certain. I watched your video that you put up on your Instagram about your your surgery that you had when you were 14. And something that resonated with me was when you said that you're you're now living the life that you always wanted, but not in the way that you expected. And that like was so mm-hmm. amazing because I think we do kind of, you know, the exploitation of this trauma or, or almost, it's like, you know, when people share that sort of image on social media, it's almost like perpetuating the, the notion that we have to still be like upset about our bodies. You know, we're, we're like, you know, I have this insecurity yeah. and I'm pointing that out to you, but I want the validation or not even the validation, but it's almost like I'm not fully comfortable with who I am, but I, I'm, I'm putting it out there anyway. Whereas you're, you're saying that, you know, you didn't think that you would have this life because you were always told that the way that you looked wasn't the right way, but actually it is the right way and you're you're fucking killing it and you've got the billboards up there. You're living your best life. You're literally changing lives for other people. And that to me is so important that, you know, you are putting that message out there and I feel mm-hmm. like I'm the same. And like, I've got a quote that, that I, I think I said in an interview once and it's kind of just stuck with me, but 
it's that every job that I do is not just a win for diversity, but it's another win because I know that out there's a young girl seeing someone that looked like them because I never had that when I grew up. And I spent yeah. so many years hating my body. And and I think you said that in your video too. Like it was almost like time lost because you could have had like such an amazing childhood if you had have had these role models and this society that, that accepted fat bodies, yeah. but instead we didn't. And that's why, you know, we're changing that for the next generation and the generation after us will do the same thing. And hopefully one day there won't be such a thing as fat phobia, but I think it's just awesome to say like you living your truth this way. And, and, you know, I'm finally, I feel like I'm finally at peace with, with my body and where I am. And like, it's taken me a long time, but I feel like I'm finally there as well. Like, obviously I still have bad days, which we all do, but. Wow. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Really proud of you. I like, I, we all know how hard it is and like to hear purely honestly just being a self-identified woman is like complete and total agony but if if you have other other marginalized experiences like being a minority or like you know being a person of color being queer like it just compounds that and I am just like so proud of anybody who I can encounter who has several intersecting marginalized identities and still experiences and grants themselves because nobody's doing it for you. You have granted yourself that joy. Yeah. You have granted yourself the grand stage to be powerful enough to be in literal international ads. And like you did that girl and so proud of you. Thanks. And same to you, like you're killing it. So I'm just so excited to see what your career looks like in like a year's time. I'm yeah, very excited. Thank you. It has been for sure a whirlwind, but um, for me, like I understand that all of my life's experiences, my career, my friendships, my partnership, like I try to be really clear that I think in synchronicities, Mm -hmm right? Like, I don't believe that there's any single facet of my life that's not impacted by the others. And if you're not recognizing that it's time to go deeper, right? And that's why like, we speak about like fat phobia from the landscape of like the childhood that was taken from me, or like the moments of play and joy that I didn't have younger. Um, And even like, you know, I went to college, I I paid money for two degrees that I will never use, because (laughs) I thought that I had to be smart. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm even thinking about that. must have been so many choices that I made based on who the world told me I had to be because I wasn't a certain kind of beautiful or because they felt like I wasn't deserving of being the main character or being whatever. And I'm sure you can get this. Like I hear a lot of women be like, you know, I I got into the industry because I wanted to see people who look like me. That is an absolute truth. I think that we all agree with that. There is another, what I call like an ugly feeling because I really love, I would love for everybody to stop pretending that they don't have jealousy and don't have other things. Um, there's another thing, again, I've talked, we talked about this earlier, but the feeling of vindication of having always been like the smart, funny, like charismatic. And now I'm like, listen, bitch, I'm the pretty one too. Like, oh, that feels good. (laughs) That feels so good. Like to be able to be like, listen, being a little fat girl is character development 101. And I was the funny one. I was the smart one. I was the loud one. I was all these things. And now I actually have all of it because I was forced to have a personality. And that that's a cute look for us. I have had a great conversation with you. I, I, I don't really want to draw it out too much longer because I think we've we've had a really, really beautiful conversation. But I, I, I do thank you so, so, so much for taking the time out on a Friday evening to speak to me. 
<laughs> oh, absolutely. No, I was more than happy to do so. Also, I just, I do, yeah, I want to give hat, hats off to you, especially just given, you know, what you shared about where you're at right now and being so overextended. Like this is just yet another gift that you're giving people a space to talk about these things. So it's really such great work. And it's been like such a pleasure. Literally, like I think I started following you like the, the day that you, one of the first days that you moved to the US. So that is really, really special. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm really grateful that you invited me on. And I would love to have a chat personally and to meet for lunch or something soon. I would love that um, too. But yeah, no, it was, it was, yeah, I really appreciate it.